Welcome to our latest co-hosted podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Karen E. So continue exploring, comment on the news. Hi, Karen. How are you doing on this hot, muggy day? I'm doing well. Um, it's not as hot and muggy where I'm at and definitely not in the air conditioning. So it's not too bad for me today. Yeah, the air conditioning isn't too bad, although being upstairs, it gets, is a little bit warmer. I think my uh, video audience will notice it's a little bit more of a different background I've got in the changing around my office. I thought I'd share my heritage from the Scottish and my love of America with the American flag. So that's something new. Getting back to, to one of the big, big issues here, we're still having horrible gun violence. Highland Park, Illinois, 4th of July celebration. Seven at least seven people are dead, and I just read today about an eight-year-old who was paralyzed from the waist down. Yeah, and uh, two of the people that died were parents of a two-year-old that I just watched a video about. He was found wandering uh, on the streets, and this couple found him, and they were upset, and the cops were like, we can't do We're busy, basically. Can you take care of him? And then the cops finally... <sighs> came and got him when they'd found the grandparents um, to take the, the, the kid. And he kept asking for his parents, when are they coming to get me? And I saw, when I looked last time, I think it was the fifth or the sixth, somebody did a GoFundMe for him that was at like $2.3 million. Oh, it doesn't it's replace just, his parents. No, I mean, it's nice. Yeah. I mean, he'll be taken care of financially, but that's that's not the same. No, he'd rather have his parents, for sure, because he's going to barely remember anything about them. It's yeah, hopefully really his grandparents, point. hopefully his grandparents have videos and ways to sort of keep it fresh in his mind. Interesting thing that they said, there were more people killed on the streets of Chicago over the weekend than in that shooting seven dead in that it's, it's 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 hard to believe what's hard to believe is that more gun violence isn't going to happen with more guns out there what is always curious to me i guess is the best way to put it is when people people say you know pro big pro second amendment people say that bad guys will always find a way to get guns that's true but the less guns there are for them to grab, the less chance they have to have guns. So, yeah, and so many people, yeah, and so many people leave it, their guns I, in their cars. Yeah, their cars are unattended in in a purse and the grocery store. You know, people just don't people don't practice good gun safety. You know, I, I am a big proponent of if you're not prior military, you should take a gun class to get a concealed permit. You know, it, it's. Anybody can fill out the paperwork, but having a class makes you safer, makes you think about it a little bit more. And I think it's sad that a lot of people don't think about gun violence until it actually happens to them. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, they talk about the, the whole point of more guns and, and civilians are going to be more protective. There are very, very few instances of any major crimes that have been thwarted by an armed citizen. More, gun, more armed citizens have their guns used against them than they've been able to use to save anything. It just, it, I, just, it, it floors me. I think there's a cockiness with some types of Second Amendment people that 
they think they're more skilled with their firearms than they actually are, or they don't understand the capability of the firearm that they have. Well, that, you know, that's, like that's some handguns are, are just close, close proximity. You're not going to be sitting at the back of a movie theater with a handgun and take out somebody that walks in 300 feet from you. Like you're just not going to be able to do that with a handgun. Yeah. And it, it, the thing that people don't understand with that is the lethality at distance. I mean, I knew people lived in Lake Placid and people would be hunting up on the mountains near there. They'd fire downhill and would flatten tires in the, in the city of a village of Lake Placid. It's just, I mean, you take a 22 bullet, still has a range of almost a mile. It's not going to hurt anybody at a mile, but it's got a range. And some of the heavier weapons are much farther than that. One of the big problems around here is people want to fire guns on, you know, New Year's at midnight and that sort of thing. And, and they fire their gun up into the air. But those those bullets aren't going out of the atmosphere. They're going to come down. And they could come down with enough force to hurt somebody. Not the same as if they're coming directly from the gun, but it can still hurt people and damage property. And, you know, it's just well, little things like that. People are just not safe with guns, which further complicates having so many guns. Well, yeah, they, they go out and they, they see celebrations in other countries when they fire in the air. I saw a picture of a car where the bull, a bullet fired on uh, over the weekend, came down on the roof of the car and it left. One big den and it showed the flattened bullet and it was almost had penetrated the sheet metal on the roof of it. Yeah. It's, it's a scary thing, and I don't know what the answer is. I know I'm not thrilled with our governor. When the governor was running in 2016. We may have mentioned this before, but when he, in 2016, he had a shotgun, and he loaded it. I mean, he didn't load it, but he had point, cocked it and put it right, pointed it at, the, at a boy who supposedly wanted to date his daughter. I don't know. On something that was scary when I read it today, a man and his wife were in Egypt, and he suddenly got this, he started getting sick, and went to the hospital. It turned out that he, and they didn't know what was going on there, so they sent him to a hospital in Germany. It turned out he had a, a grapefruit-sized massive mess of a bacteria in his gut, and he kept getting worse and worse and worse, and to the point that the, the, the people said that they, they, they had no hope for him. He was going to die, and he was basically under and his wife grabs his hand and says squeeze if you want to live and he did well she happened to be a scientist and she had found out and she did research of using a virus and using viruses that attacked that would attack the bacteria to kill it because no antibiotic was helping him and it turned out she went all talked to people all over the world and they were went out and found the different kind of, uh, of as she called them, the phages, the, vi the viruses. And they were able to pur purify it. And within a few days, they had, to, had, had beat it. And he's alive now because of that. So they're talking about new research. But, you know, virulent bacteria do have a problem with resisting antibiotics. You don't, you didn't have this. But when I was young, and you get sick, a doctor would come to your house and carry a little black bag. There were two little black bags. The TV repairman would come one that looked almost the same, maybe a little bit bigger. He'd get in there, and you knew doggone well that your butt was going to be exposed, and you were going to get a shot of penicillin because they gave penicillin for everything back then. And that was the beginning of resistance. Yeah, and then that definitely carried through to you know present times. They only recently started backing out of 
giving antibiotics for every little thing. You know, there are multiple times with the kids where I took them to the pediatrician and we had somebody that we loved in Georgia and he, he was pretty honest of like, I think that they're going to beat it. Like, I think they're on the other side of this. I know it hurts. So just keep giving them painkillers, but let's see if, let's give it a couple days and see if, see if they can beat this instead of just automatically giving antibiotics. I'd had other doctors earlier in, in the children's lives where they did just give us antibiotics. And I was like, "Mm, I don't feel great about giving that because, you know, they were pulling at their ear and everything, but you're not, you didn't test that. You don't know what sort of, what, if this is something that they are fighting on their own, you know, I don't want them to have a hearing damage if we can fix it quickly. But I also worried a lot about the overprescription of antibiotics. Yeah, that's been a problem. The second problem is, is the patients who, and penicillin is one of the worst things in this, that you feel better within 24 to 48 hours, and you say, oh, I'm cured. Well, you have to remember what happens is you're killing the weakest bacteria first. And the bacteria that survived that, when you stop it early, are going to become, now they've exposed to it, so they've done this development, just like the coronavirus has changed so much to avoid the vaccines and the antibodies that we know. At least yeah. it hasn't got got these new varieties of it aren't quite as lethal as particularly Delta was, but it's very very it's learned how to go out and get us on that. Now back yeah, to the Super the Bowl. Scary, go ahead. I was gonna say the scary thing about that is like I've known a handful of people that have gotten MRSA, and a lot of times they get that in a healthcare setting. You know, mm-hmm. that's something that somebody else has brought in there, and now you're getting it there, so it's. It's really scary because yeah, you don't know I, where I, you're going to run into that. And one of, the, one of the things they talked about this article about the superbug with that man is that in the Middle East, there is this bacteria that people get that is totally resistant to every known antibiotic. And what they actually had a nickname for it that I don't have down here. but uh, And it was one of the killers of wounded service people. Because they would they would get wounded, they come back, they'd be treated for the wounds, they cover it, but they come back with this bacteria and die from that bacteria. There were a lot of rules about what we could do and where we could go because of things like that. Yeah, there should there should there needs to be. The the article also went on to say that by two hundred two thousand fifty, ten million people annually will perish because we don't have new treatments to treat these. That these, uh, these bacteria. And the bacteria, hopefully, with these new use of other good things, like the viruses um, and the phages, they go out and, and maybe they can do that. On a different topic, we got, uh, you remember in that testimony of uh, that woman who was the assistant uh, to the chief of staff there last week, how she mm-hmm. kept mentioning, and several other people get mentioned, Pat Cipollone. Well, right at this moment, or sometime today, he is testifying closed door with the with with uh, the uh, July uh, with the January sixth committee. I'll be very interesting to see how that turns out, and see if he ends up doing a doing an open testimony. I'm withholding all judgment on this because you know. My fear is that there's going to be questions he just will refuse to answer. 
And although I know that they've said executive privileges, executive privilege only extends to the current president, I, I know that that's an avenue that a lot of people have tried to use to not testify. And I, I do have to admit, you know, being a White House counsel like he was, that does put you in a little bit of a tricky position. And a lot of it also depends on how much he's still in Trump's circle, because I feel like the people that are still trying to stay close to Trump for whatever reason aren't going to want to say as much as somebody that he's already kind of kicked out of his inner circle. Yeah, it could be. The one nice thing is, and this is key, that he's White House counsel. His counsel is a people's counsel, like the like the Attorney General. So he's, mm-hmm. his thing is for the White House, not for the president. So it's not he doesn't have client privilege on this. Mm-hmm. Client right. privilege on it. So we'll we'll see how that works out. Well, we're not the only ones that are have political issues. Boris Johnson has resigned. I haven't paid a, a whole lot of attention to him. I know there's been a lot of different scandals and all that. And, and I mean, I'll admit this is superficial, but I never understood how somebody with so much power couldn't be bothered to brush their hair. You know, he sort of presented himself <laughs> as kind of this like, you know, frumpy, weird looking dude. So I never really took him seriously as a politician. Well, it's, it's, it reminds me more of, of how that uh, doctor in uh, Back to the Future, just to let his hair grow so wildly on there, too, for those kind, kinds of things. And then sadly, a country that is, has very little gun violence lost the longest-serving prime minister, there, Shinzo Abe of Japan. So... That it would be interesting to understand what the motivation in that was, because from what I understand, he was fairly popular. Yeah, he, he was the longest serving. He, he kept on there, and he was still campaigning for something. I don't, I didn't read all the article on it, but that was saying because he was a very good ally of of, the, of our nation. Yeah. Now, one of the greatest accomplishments I feel I've got, I have done with you, has made you a football fan. Mm-hmm. You know, you know things about football that that a lot, many, many, many women don't. And I know the stories of how you helping men when you've been in deployment to understand various teams and everything have gone. And it's only two months to pro football again. What I'm thinking about, I'm really come forward is these quarterback changes. Now we saw Tom Brady go out, retire from New England and go down to Tampa and look at what he's done in Tampa. Won a Super Bowl and came closer, relatively into the into the finals there. Uh, last year is going as well, and he had retired. And he decided, I'm not ready to retire yet. He better be careful because we saw what Brett Favre did by staying one year or two years too many. So we'll see what you happens. Start to not there. be as good. Everything kind of catches up with you. Then we saw Matt Stafford move from a very unsuccessful team, really. And look at what, what happened for him man, to win the Super Bowl in his first year with a new team. So now it comes to two people who moved on. Our own Atlanta quarterback, Matt Ryan, who probably has one this has been consistently one of the better quarterbacks, but he just can't feel seal the deal. Either his he doesn't have the offensive weapons at the right time or the defense lets them in, as in that Super Bowl they lost disgustingly at the at the end to Tom Brady. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does in a new venue on here. 
I think he's with going to be with uh, Indianapolis now. So mm-hmm. we'll see how that works out. And then my own favorite, Russell Wilson, is going to Denver. And we'll see see if if, if that doesn't uh, oxygen low level action doesn't be a problem for him. What's interesting about sports, especially especially large team sports like football, is it there are things that I, I think influence the game a lot more than your individual talents. You know, things like locker room culture, um, mm-hmm. how involved the owner is, shall we say? I'm not going to mention any names, Jerry Jones, but sometimes <laughs> yeah. I think that it gets a little bit toxic in the locker room. It gets toxic between coaches. You know, look at Andy Reid, who had a lot of capability in Philadelphia and did next to nothing. I mean, yes, okay, they got to the playoffs, got to the Super Bowl, didn't win it with him. And then, you know, eventually in Kansas City, he gets really good and he wins them. So it's not that Andy Reid isn't a good coach, but whatever those intangibles are, it just never worked together. You know, I think there's a certain amount of luck that comes into it and injuries definitely play a factor and and how you let people use their natural talent. If you move somebody, if they are a defensive end through college and you move them more inside based on who's already there, where you, where you see them, I think that sometimes that either gives you an amazing benefit because they're, they're suddenly excited to do something different and more motivated, or you took them away from something they loved and they're a little less motivated to to play in the way that they were because they're not getting that glory they got say as a defensive end you know you know they're not getting sacked or anything they're just sort of like the wall they're not they're they're very important but their name isn't called as much when they're not doing no, those a, big individual things it's amazing too that different coaches have different skills you know you mentioned and Andy Reid Andy Reid is a very good quarterbacks coach he he's done a good job. He did a good job with uh, our Donovan in there, mm-hmm. and he did a good job with. And he's done a fantastic job out there in Kansas City. But then you can have people who just aren't quarterback coaches, and they can ruin somebody. And again, Don McNabb is a very good example of that. He went to Washington, not so good. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that plays into it, and I think sometimes. Like you, you see with players, like I know that uh, Aaron Rodgers had some personality conflict in Green Bay with some of the coaching staff. You know, when that happens, that it becomes toxic in the locker room and you start to have players take sides. And it, the team has to all be gelled together. And when the year the Eagles won, they gelled behind that underdog mentality. Like no one expects us to win. And they use that to fire themselves up. They had a good coaching staff. They had the right pieces in every position. And they fought through injuries. And they they just really all were on the same page that year when no one expected them to beat Tom Brady and the Patriots. But for whatever reason, it all came together that year for them. And I think think sometimes you can build a dynasty like they did on the Patriots with Brady and uh, Bill Belichick. I think Bill Belichick... You know, it's what I still laugh when I think about how he got fired from his first coaching job. Yeah. And yet he obviously knows what he's doing. It's, and it's although I'm not a huge fan of him, you know, lost way too many games to him. But um, 
I do think that he knows what he's doing. And I do think he knows how to motivate people. And maybe it's bad motivation. Maybe it's negative, but it's worked for him for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've come up with what I've been thinking about. Is there any, any topic you want to carry on? Um, yes, I read something two days ago about, and we talked about this the other day about how, um, one of the drugs used for early abortion is something that women use for breast cancer and for rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and how doctors in states where abortion has been banned are not prescribing it for child women of childbearing age. So women who have been on these drugs intentionally for conditions that are extremely painful and debilitating now aren't getting the medicine that they need. Yeah, I saw that too. And that to me is disgusting. It's not, you know, not everything. One of the things that's always irked me is how the medical field doesn't test a lot of things on women. So dosages aren't meant for women. These are the dosages for men. And the reason why they're not tested on is to preserve their fertility, you know, and it's, it's not something that women are even asked about because I'm sure there are people that don't want children, women that don't want children that would be more than happy to to do this testing for medical things that have nothing to do with fertility that aren't worried about preserving fertility and i don't think that we should have that sort of like paternalistic view that women's fertility needs to be protected and she gets no say in that could be it's the same thing as refusing to give somebody a a tubal ligation or a vasectomy because they're too young and don't have children yet. You know, they can change their mind, but that, that isn't for a doctor to determine. That isn't for anybody, but that person to determine. I agree. You know, I think that, that there's a lot of ways that, that mostly women, and I think sometimes for men too, don't get enough say in their medical treatment, not, not, that they know everything about the medical treatment, but they should be informed of things that are possibilities. You know, like there, I've, there's been times that things have been done to me and it's just been the doctor makes the decision on this. And even though there's other options, the doctor made the decision without having the discussion with me. Well, I think without a doubt, there's 51% of the population is really suffering. I noticed a little bit of feedback. I don't know if you hear a little bit of feedback from mine. Something happened with my, uh, let me click this thing. I don't know. Should I talk? Okay. You're going to have to record Karen again. I lost you. Yeah, I see. I I I said recording stopped. I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, these went out. Okay, I think we might as well close it out then. No, I can't hear you.